Good morning. This time of year in the church calendar is known as Eastertide. Eastertide is the immediate weeks after we celebrate the resurrection where we figure out what living as Easter people begins to look like. Or as Eugene Peterson writes, it's where we begin to practice resurrection. I love that term. We start to practice resurrection. We start to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be people of hope? What does it mean to live our lives as people, as individuals, as families, as community on this side of the cross? And among the many things that I'd like to suggest to us today that being Easter people and practicing resurrection means is that it is an illustration and the cross is an illustration that time um, and concepts that are linear in our world are not as linear to God, right? For example, God doesn't think about beginnings and endings the same way that we do. We think about it in a very linear fashion. Think of a sporting event. Basketball game, football game, there's the beginning of the game, there's the ending of the game, the game's what's happened in the middle. The beginning and the ending are on opposite ends of the spectrum, opposite poles. That's how life works. There's the beginning of life at birth, there's the end of life at death. And yet Jesus embodies on the cross and what practicing resurrection is saying, what if God sees these things of beginnings and endings and endings and beginnings more circularly than linearly? where the line between what is an ending and what is a beginning starts to get fuzzier. Because the cross is the place where the ugliness of the world was meant to be the end of the story. That's why they crucified Jesus. And yet we see that in what people believed was an ending, God was preparing to begin the most beautiful act of love and redemption that creation has ever seen. That we on this side of Easter don't see the cross as an ending, as it was intended, but the beginning. The death is not the ending, but as we as people of faith believe that death is a time when life is swallowed up by greater life and the beginning of something new. The cross and Easter and Easter tide say that the things we see on opposite poles are actually far more circular and the line that separates what is ending, what is beginning, what is beginning, what is ending becomes fuzzy and difficult to discern. That's what I'd like us to keep in mind today because we're going to be talking about endings and beginnings here at Covenant. I think 2018 is an incredibly significant year as chapters end and chapters begin in the life of our church. And it's that which we will reflect on today of what is God bringing to a close and yet at the exact same moment, what is God giving birth to as we look forward. The scripture passage that's going to guide us is actually from Isaiah chapter 43. And I invite you to listen now and read along to God's word to us today. This is what Isaiah writes. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and break down all the bars, and the shouting of the Chalcedons will be turned to lamentation. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse and army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. 
do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask today that you would speak to us all of your call upon our life, that we would celebrate what closes and what begins, and we would look forward to what you have tomorrow. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So endings and beginnings, beginnings and endings, and as we think about this for this church, what is it that is ending and what is it the beginning? Well, we need to orient ourselves a little bit with some of our history and some of our recent history in order to talk about that. Um, uh, it's important we're all on the same page and not all of us have been here uh, for as long as others. And so we need to be able to speak a common language to understand where we've come from. For me, I started getting oriented to um, uh, some of what we're going to be talking about today in the opportunity. And I chose to see it and choose to see it as an opportunity I had in my first couple of months here to spend many, 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 many nights at different welcome parties and desserts and coffees in neighborhoods all over Austin. It wasn't a chore. It was an opportunity to meet all different kinds of people over 20 different times, learn neighborhoods, learn how to drive Mopac, learn to avoid Mopac and how to get around it at different times of the day, all different kinds of things that helped me to get used to life in Austin, Texas. Uh, this was just over four years ago now. And at these coffees, we had uh, a time to meet people, to learn names, to learn stories to hear about your journeys, to hear, learn about this community. But if you attended one of those, and, um, and if you were there, you may remember that at some point I invited you to sit down and to take some paper and some pencils and to reflect on four questions that I asked you. Four questions that I took the answers to and Maureen tabulated them uh, and kind of gave some feedback on who we are. And, um, and among the first two questions, there was amazing consensus in your answers, unbelievable consensus in your answers that told me a lot about the church. Now, here's what they were. The first question I asked, if you were there, was, as you sit here today, what has you at Covenant? What is it about Covenant that keeps you here? And I can only, you're like, well, can I go four things? You can't go four things. One thing. What's the core thing? And overwhelmingly, your answer was, this is my family. It's not in the end about a pastor. It's not in the end about the staff. It's not in the end about the programs. It's not in the end about missions. It's not in the end about worship style. All that stuff's important. I'm not saying it's not important. But if you drill down to the core thing, the thing that means the most of why I'm here, these are the people I do life with. There might be differences in politics, there might be differences in theology, there might be different personalities, there are different personalities, and yet all of that makes us who we are. But this is my community. That taught me a ton. It resonated with what I believe faith and growth are about, but it taught me a ton about the core DNA of who this community is, because core DNA doesn't change very fast, and it shouldn't. So it tells you a lot about who we are. Amazing consensus saying that. The second question, there was also amazing consensus around. And that question is, what worries you about covenant as you sit here today? And in all of your responses, incredible consensus, and there were sort of two prongs to your answers. The first one was uh, declining numbers, declining worship attendance, declining membership, and declining giving to the budget, all of which were true. All of those numbers were going down. And thanks be to God today, none of those numbers are going down. They're all moving in a good direction. And God gets the glory for that, and we are grateful for that. The second part, though, was related. 
and it was the approximately $7 million of debt that existed on this building. Overwhelming response of what worries us. Now, I want to say something about that. I am grateful, so grateful this building is here. This is the centerpiece of our campus now. If you look at the activity that takes place on this campus during the week, I, I would almost be willing to guarantee you that more takes place seven days a week in this building than all of our other buildings combined. That's true for us. This worship service meets here. Wednesday night dinners meet in this room. We have uh, Wednesday night programming that takes place. All of our small groups on campus meet in here. Our youth meet here. Our children meet here. During the week, our preschool is here. But this building allows us to live into an amazing vision that you all had long before I was here. One of the things that inspires me most about Covenant. And that is how we welcome the surrounding community into our midst. This is a gathering place for Austin. This is a gathering place for Allendale. This is a gathering place for different ministries. We have during the week one of the largest AA gatherings in the city of Austin. We have citizenship classes. We have ESL classes that meet here. We have ministry partners that meet here. InterVarsity has met here. We have had all different kinds of things. And what is amazing is that many churches protect their campus for three hours a week, for Sunday morning. And I love how you all have this vision of this being an open invitation to people to come. And this building makes that possible in so many different ways. It's what makes our budget complicated. Because it used to be that our budget was the kind of thing that we would look at and say, well, this is our mission giving, this is what we get away, and this is what we spend on ourselves. And when you look into it, we open this campus up to so many different groups that it's not that simple. Because we take on the overhead of so many groups that use this place during the week and we don't charge them rent or we charge them a reduced rent. And where does the money for that come from? We pay for it. We do so graciously, we do so gladly, but it's not as simple as going, well, this is our mission budget. It's more complicated than that. And I give thanks for that complication. It is an inspiring thing that this church has done for so many years. However, we also had $7 million in debt of which was taking and being paid for in service out of the operating budget of this church. So while the operating budget of this church was going down, that was becoming a more and more of a burden that we had to handle. And so two years ago, today, the Sunday after Easter, we announced the beginning of a capital campaign. A capital campaign that sought to reduce the debt on this building. We didn't have a goal for it because what we believed was is like no matter how much money we raise, it creates relief in the budget. So whatever we raise is good. But you all were led by God to throw yourselves into it. Many of you gave. Many of you gave sacrificially. There are people in this room who served in leadership on the Capital Campaign Committee, and I am grateful for you. There are people who um, creatively worked to make this thing possible. You prayed for this campaign. You talked to your friends about it. You talked about it in small groups or in Bible studies. And, um, and people responded, and people responded sacrificially and with extravagant generosity. The leadership of this church, the elders for years have been operating the budget in a way to pay down the principal. The foundation has gotten involved with giving leadership to this. This church united around this effort, and I'm excited to tell you today that what is coming to an end at the end of 2018 is our debt. At the end of 2018, and that is glory to God for that. At the end of 2018, we will be debt-free as a congregation. And that is amazing. That is amazing. Now, if there were someone from the business office standing here right now, they would be grabbing the microphone from me and saying 
that statement is based on everyone fulfilling their pledge that they made. And I want to emphasize that is true. We need all of you to fulfill the pledge that you made, no matter what it was. We're not there yet, but we know you will. If you haven't fulfilled it or you're not certain if you fulfilled it, contact us. We will gladly let you know whether you have fulfilled it or not. But we feel confident making that statement because of all the money pledged, about 90% has already been received. So we are well on our way to being debt-free at the end of this year, and that will close a chapter in the story of Covenant Presbyterian Church, a chapter that's been good and important for us to step into and grow through and wrestle through, but a season is coming to an end. But as we see in Eastertide, and as Isaiah reminds us, there's something important for people of faith to just say something stops and then a chapter stops. But whenever God stops something, there's that fuzzy line that we begin to start asking as, as people who practice resurrection, so then what's the next thing? What's the new thing that God wants to do? And what we've said as a church and what we talked about in the campaign is that the new thing needs to be leaning into the new reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in Austin, Texas in the 21st century. Because as we have talked about for centuries in this country, there has been an implicit wedding between church and American culture. You think about in like movies or stories or in history when you look at it, when um, uh, new towns were established, new cities were established, it involved certain things. There's going to be a courthouse, there's going to be a city hall, there's going to be schools, there's going to be houses, there's going to be a church. Probably multiple ones, different denominations, and then we all tell jokes about the different denominations and why we don't go to the one and we go to the other. Thankfully, that part is dying. I'm glad that part is dying. But what's happening in the last few decades is that an enormous shift is taking place where... American culture and Christianity are not locked arm in arm anymore. The vast majority of Austin, Texas today is not waking up thinking about what church to go to. The overwhelming majority of this city is waking up today not thinking at all about church or Christianity or worship or faith as we talk about it. And so we have to, as a church, figure out how do we respond in that. Because church has been built over the centuries in America under certain assumptions. The assumption was if you have a good preacher and you have a good children's program, you have a good youth program, you have a good music program, then you open your doors on Sunday and people come. And if it's better than the people down the street, your numbers get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's based on the assumption that on Sunday morning people are waking up wondering where to go. That model has disintegrated around us quickly. And so the church has to pivot. The church has to change. And how the church has to change is not inventing something new that we've talked about. It's about going back to what the New Testament described the church as. The New Testament biblical church did not understand itself as a place that just received people when they come, but it was a place that took the people there and said, our job as a church is to shape and form you to go out into the world as ambassadors of Jesus proclaiming the good news. That the way people are going to experience the gospel is not through coming into church and hearing it from the pastor. It's about you all and the ways that you live. And so our, our vision statement is to encourage one another to follow Jesus, not to come and invite more people to covenant, but to follow Jesus out there, wherever we live, work, and play. That is a pivot of how the church has fundamentally understood itself for centuries. And that's not something that should panic us. That's not something that should worry us. This is something that God is doing in our midst. And so we look forward with hope. But we've got to figure out how we live that way. And it's not going to happen in two months by having a task force. This isn't about like three things that are going to make us 
effective Christians or faithful Christians in the 21st century. And so what we said is that the debt relief that was going to come from the campaign would go to those efforts. That was going to be the new thing we discerned God doing us, leaning into those things. So we said that some of the money would go to increased giving in missions, and it has, and that some of the money that would come in our budget through debt relief would go through the establishing something new, what we are calling the Institute for Missional Formation, seeking to help us and hopefully other churches make this pivot to what it means to be the church of today and tomorrow, not just wish for the glory days that used to be. How do we make this turn? And it's going to take decades for us to kind of lean into this and try to figure it out. Now, what the Institute is not, and this was worrying to some people, it's like, well, so we're going to like, you're going to like teach me like the three ways to talk to my non-Christian people at work, and that's going to make them hate me, and then their walls are going to come down. And, and, and so we're like, no, it's not going to be formulaic. We're not going to sit here and go, these are the three ways, and they all start with the letter C, to help you introduce Jesus into your workplace this week. Rather, what the Institute is going to be is a place where we seek to ask the question, how are we formed here in intentional ways to also live intentionally out there? Here's what I mean. We're not going to be able to talk to anyone out there about Jesus if we can't talk about it with each other. We're not going to be able to take a leap of faith because we see the prompting of the Spirit to say something to someone in our work out there if we can't do it in our life here together. We're not going to know how to pray, really pray intentionally for God to work in someone's life if we can't do that starting in our life together. And how we've reduced often formation in the church is about lectures and information that we give to you, speaking series, to give you more information here. So the Institute is seeking to find a way to invite us into processes of formation, of how we are shaped, taking a long view, not a short view, of what this means. Now, how are we going to do this? And this is where we're going to wind up today. I know this is a lot. Some of you may remember about a year and a half ago, I mentioned that we had been invited into a pilot program, a pilot program that was being run by Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, a pilot program that invited three churches in Texas to go through a year-long what they called cohort learning process, a process that involved three different things, a year of intentional growing with these other two churches in a process of number one, retreats. Second is a year of small groups. And third in that year was intentional spiritual practices that they led us through. Six leaders from this church went with six leaders from the other two churches, 18 people total, and we committed to a year of doing this. And at the end of the year, the six of us who went through it said, this was wonderful. We need to figure out how to invite everybody from Covenant to come be a part of this process. So for the last six, eight months, we took a small group of people that represented the cross-section of this church, people who had been here for a short amount of time, people who had been here for a long amount of time, people of different ages. We balanced it with men and women. We had all four of our worship services represented. We had some of our staff represented, and we took them through this formation process so that they could help us lead it. And today, as we celebrate the idea of ending one chapter and being debt-free, Today is the first day that you have the chance to apply and get involved in the new thing that God is doing. The first initiative of this institute, which will be three cohorts, formation cohorts that will begin in September and will take you through the nine months of the school year. It's a cohort that we will run, 20 people, up to 20 people can be in each cohort, so 60 this year, 
can be in it. All the pastors will be involved. The leadership of uh, different leaders in our church will be involved. And you will have a chance to journey through a series of retreats, of small groups, and of intentional spiritual practices. And if you don't apply this year because the dates don't work, or you don't apply and, you, and it doesn't work out, and the groups, the mix doesn't work for you to be in it this year, we're going to do it next year, and we're going to do it the year after, and we're going to do it the year after. This is a, something we are investing in heavily. How you apply is you apply online. We are, we are creeping slowly into the 20th century here. Um, so we have this new invention called a website uh, that you should check out. Uh, and, and all the applications will be online. I think we're going to bring uh, uh, address up here. You can, because you all are in the 21st century, you can take a picture with your phone of this, or you can write this down. This is where you can go and apply online. You can also just go to our homepage, and there's a banner there that you can click on. This is how you learn the dates of the cohorts. This is how you learn when you, how you can get involved, and this is how you sign up. If you have any questions, number one, there will be people at a table out on the patio after this. You can go ask and learn more about it from those who have been through it. Secondly, all the information is here. If you have any questions, you also contact the church office. We will be happy to let you know about it. You have a few weeks to apply and to consider the dates and whether they work. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. This is for all of us. This is not for people who have only been elders or deacons for three different terms. This is not just for people who have taught Sunday school classes or led small groups or are able to translate Greek and Hebrew. This will work, because I can't even do that. This will work best. This will work best if the full breadth and range of covenant engages. We want people who are in their 80s and people who are 18. We want people who have been following Jesus for 50 years and people who have been following him for five days. We want people, uh, men and women of different ages and stages of life to get involved in this. We believe in how God is working through this. And I want you to know that in all of my time as a pastor and all of the different seminars and conferences and lectures and processes that I have been invited to be in and I've participated in, and they are a lot, this is the best program I have ever done. The best. It has changed me in wondrous ways. And so I hope that no matter who you are or what obstacle immediately comes into your brain of why you can't, I would invite you to explore and consider whether you can. Because God is doing a new thing. God has led us for years through chapters of our story. And today, as we recognize that a chapter of our story is coming to an end, we give thanks for it. We give thanks for all God did in it. We give thanks for all God taught us through it. But we also give thanks for the new that is beginning. And there are opportunities beginning today to look towards tomorrow with hope and with expectation as we practice resurrection for what God will do next. All of you, all of you are invited to come. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that you would continue to lead and guide us as we move forward. May we see your faith and face and trust in you as we journey into what you have for us. We lift this prayer before you in Christ's name.
Amen.